What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous, award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. Filmmakers, be sure to get your films into the DC Black Film Festival as the regular deadline period ends on Sunday. Visit DCBFF.org for more information. Today on the show, I'm talking with Seth Gadsden, the director of the Indie Grits Film Festival. The fest, now in its 13th year, is going on right now as this airs or you're streaming it from your podcast in my hometown of Columbia, South Carolina. And they have a lot of stuff cooking you'll want to know about. I also talk with director and founder of DC WebFest, Otessa Godar. The fest hits the nation's capital April 12th and 13th, so you have a little time to get ready. But over the next couple of weeks, I'll be releasing interviews with some of the officially selected entrants of the festival. And I have a ton of those, and I wanted to get that started early. So radio listeners, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can hear those great conversations. Finally... Us hit theaters and destroyed records this past weekend. You can find my breakdown of the film at youtube.com slash picture lock show for an in-depth look at some of the things you may have missed. But I've got your answers to picture lock's question of the week about the film from last week. And that's all ahead on picture lock. Hello, this is Jean-Marie Spicuzza. I'm the writer, actress, producer, director of The Scarapist, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Indie Grits takes place March 28th through 31st, 2019. Indie Grits is a four-day event celebrating the visionary experimental culture of the Southeast with film, art, music, and bits. As the director of the festival, Seth Gadsden on the line with me. Seth, welcome to Picture Lock. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Seth, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Man, I mean, I've always loved film. I guess I guess the earliest film I could probably remember seeing was The Wizard of Oz, which was huge. I loved it as a child. And then, you know, I, I, I grew up in South Carolina. I went to a college in South Carolina, and there's not a lot of film in the state but when I went to grad school for painting up at Boston University um, I discovered this really rich film program at Boston University and you know they make you take classes outside of your major so I took all of my classes in film studies and documentary and world cinema international cinema and um, that's when I really fell in love and I actually stopped painting um, while I was in grad school and started making movies <laughs> Man, I love it. So uh, my audience knows The Wizard of Oz is special to me as well. That is where I first learned that, you know, you could have a power over an audience in kindergarten when we did the play and all that kind of stuff. And plus, The Wizard of Oz, this is not the first time I've heard, like, that being one of the, you know, pre-films pre, pre -films that, like, really got people jazzed. 
So that's pretty cool. What part of uh, South Carolina did you grow up in? I grew up in a small town called Clover, South Carolina. It's um, upstate, outside, uh, right across the border from Charlotte and Castonia in North Carolina. Got it. Awesome. So I I'm really excited because I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, so it's not every day I get to talk to some South Carolinians uh, that understand how, you know, film there's definitely film and film presence in uh, the area and especially with what you guys are doing with Indie Grits um, but it's it's great that you all have this place for the little kid in me that like was looking around when I was younger and like how did I get into film um, but Seth if you could like give us a history lesson of the film the, the festival itself and then kind of how you stepped into the role as director so the uh, the film festival itself, Indigris, is a 13-year-old festival. Um, it was started 13 years ago as a collaboration between the city and the Nickelodeon uh, Theater, which is a part of the Columbia Film Society, which is a nonprofit organization that celebrates the moving image. And the Nickelodeon Theater is the hub of that. It's a, it's a nonprofit art house cinema that actually is 40 years old this year. So the Nickelodeon has been a staple of Columbia, South Carolina for a long time. Yep. And then um, uh, the city really wanted a cool film festival, and they came to the Nickelodeon, and voila, they came up with the interest, <laughs> and that started 13 years ago. And then six years ago, I moved to Columbia, um, and discovered Indie Grits within a couple of months of being here and was hired to traffic the films at the festival that year. And then the next year I was director. And I've been doing that ever since. Wow, that's what's up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock. I'm talking with the director of Indie Grits, Seth Gadsden. So, Seth, if we could jump into uh, just this weekend and what you know what you got going on. I mean, it's definitely busy. It's jam-packed. Uh, with you know films and more so if you could just kind of lead us into what people can expect to see this weekend at the festival gotcha well indie grit started as a really small experimental film festival that was really celebrating a tight-knit community of filmmakers from around the southeast that's what makes indie grit indie grit so indie independent spirit looking for things that maybe other people don't want to program really looking for challenging material, and then grits. Like, we're looking for grit, and we're also looking for things that are Southern. So anything that takes place in the Indie Grits Festival is has some sort of tie to the Southeast. And that's a very loose tie, but it's <laughs> one that we, um, we celebrate. So and as you might imagine, when you start over the course of 13 years, your community grows. And so filmmakers that were maybe starting out 13 years ago are now really established filmmakers exhibiting things at Sundance and having successful careers. So now we have this like thriving ecology of, uh, of a family of filmmakers and media makers and interactive gamers and musicians that love the festival and are in it at all levels. So what's really great about Indie Grits this year is we've had, we've got more films than we've ever had before. We're screening, 127 films, um, wow. 84 of those, 85 of those are in competition. Um, this year is the golden age of documentary, as so many people have called it. So um, out of the 14 features we're playing, 13 of those are documentary features. And as a whole, over half the festival is documentary-based. Uh, and then we have a lot of animation, a lot of experimental content, a lot of really cool stuff. And one of the cool things that we do is we program a lot of shorts. So we have, you know, over 60 shorts that are playing at the festival, and we love to curate those around themes. So when you go to a shorts block, it might be something called Resilience, and you'll go into that shorts block, and you'll see an experimental film, a documentary, an animation, a narrative film. We mix them all together so that you get a full breadth of the different types of filmmaking that are taking place in the Southeast all in one little short goal based around a theme so that you also potentially come out of that block 
thinking about a certain subject matter in a new way and seeing it from a lot of different perspectives. This sounds really awesome. One thing I want to ask you really quickly, and then you can keep pushing forward. One of the things that I noticed, like as a film festival director myself, and is that uh, with each year, the filmmakers as artists are kind of telling what's going on in the world. And so you said, you know, uh, about half of the films are documentary. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what are some of the themes that you've seen come forward with some of the doctor documentaries, just like broad themes that it seems the filmmakers as artists really want to address? Well, Andy Gritz is a part of a, of a, organization within the Columbia Film Society that we started a couple of years ago called Indigrits Labs. So we kind of pulled Indigrits. It, it used to be run by the theater. Like I used to be the managing a director of the Nickelodeon Theater, and then I would run this film festival as a part of that. But everything has grown so much that we created Indigrits Labs, hired a new theater a director. And then so year round, we have these fellowships where every year we pick a certain subject that, that we, we get a group of filmmakers, media makers, artists to be in a fellowship year-round to make projects based on those themes. So, and over the course of the years, those themes, a couple years ago, the theme was Visiones. We were looking at Latino culture in the Southeast, so all of the people in, in that fellowship oh, oh, were Latino artists and filmmakers from around South Carolina. Last year, we were doing a project called Two Cities, where we were looking at race and gentrification in southern cities so that had a certain type of identity politics behind it and when you kind of stack these fellowships over the years they begin to reflect themselves in the actual festival in and of itself and more and more different types of people begin to see it as a space that they belong in so this year you know we have a wide range of themes that were submitted into the festival from issues related to immigration to issues are related to social justice it's um it's really all over the place from a lot of different perspectives um there's a little bit of something in the festival this year for everyone gotcha okay so uh you know not only do you have films going on but you also have indie bits the indie bits arcade could you talk a little bit about that yeah so the indie bits arcade is a kind of like a little sidebar of the festival that's become a really big feature event where a fellow named Cecil Decker, he's been running it for, gosh, five years now, and it's basically a mini festival within a festival where they do a call for entries for game makers across the Southeast and interactive installations from across the Southeast, and then he selects those, and then we create an arcade that you go into, and it's really, it's all work-in-progress games interactive media um none of it's being distributed it's all stuff that's like being made by people um either in school or in their basements that kind of thing it's a lot of fun wow yeah it sounds exciting it's picture lock i'm kevin sampson i am talking with the director of indie grit seth gadson the festival will be taking place march 28th through 31st in columbia south carolina Seth, if you could, uh, just kind of wrapping out here, one of the most important questions is where can people find out more information and get tickets? So everything is at IndieGrits.org. And you can also get to everything from Nickelodeon.org. And it's all there. Easy to find. Perfect. If people wanted to follow you guys on social media, how can they do that? Indie Grits. Everything is Indie Grits. That's simple. That's easy. Everything is Indie Grits. We're on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Nice. There's, uh, not, there's not really anything else out there called Indie Grits, so we're not hard to find. <laughs> well, folks, uh, it's been the director of Indie Grits, Seth Gatson. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you very much. Picture Lock question of the week last week. What did you think of Jordan Peele's new film, Us? On Instagram, at I am Chad Eric Smith said genius, at Monty Ross 95 said excellent, at 2018 Next Chapter said outstanding, at Chung underscore Lee said brilliant, at Kelly Whitney said we need an IG Live discussion for this, I have so many questions, at Brandon Lamont Hughes said there's so much to unpack, 
I believe Red's design is based on Gollywog Piccaninny racist images from back in the day, and that plays with the greater idea of agency and telling your story. At Joseph underscore Tova said, we need a week to talk about this. What movie was so packed with symbolism, racism, date-to-date -date black battle? I'm not sure if he meant day-to-day -day black battle and then autocorrect messed that up, but date-to-date -date black battle or day-to-day -day black battle, police brutality, man. Those were your thoughts on IG. I did have a call in and I, I went to see the film for a second time so that I could do my breakdown and I was able to grab an audience member right after. That's the first one you're gonna hear. Uh, D'Angelo, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, the film started off a little slow to me, but it ended up a pretty decent movie. Um, I wish I wish it would have uh, caught my attention a little bit earlier on. Um, but uh, overall, pretty pretty decent movie. I don't think uh, it was better than uh, Get Out, but a uh, pretty good movie. Hey, Kev, this is Daniel Handy just calling about talk about us. Uh, I saw the movie last night and I really uh, enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was very scary and uh, a lot of it was very effective and everything. But uh, I would have to say I probably like Get Out more just because I think some of the uh, I guess maybe some of the social commentary on Get Out was, I felt like you could talk more about it, whereas I just left it more um, mysterious and up to interpretation, which I think a little bit of is okay, but I think uh, in this case, maybe it was a little bit overdone, which kind of made it feel a little more self-important than it really needed to be. But overall, really great film. Um, the acting in it was incredible, uh, and uh, I give it a thumbs up. All right, bye. Thanks to everyone who participated in this question of the week. Always great to get call-ins. This week's question of the week with Dumbo in theaters this weekend. Are y'all excited about all these live animation movies 2019 is bringing us or no? Leave me a message 60 seconds or less with your name, where you're from, and your thoughts, and I'll play it during next week's show. Call 202-350-1351. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com and I'll read your answer next episode. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson and founded in 2013 by DC filmmaker, author, professor, and technologist Otessa Godar, the DC Web Fest highlights the intersection of entertainment and technology, featuring the best of the indie spirit and digital content. We're talking about web series, games, VR, AR, apps, podcasts, etc. I have a friend of the show and founder of the DC Web Fest, Otessa Guitar, on the line. Otessa, welcome back to Picture Lock. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. It's great to be back on Picture Lock, and it's always wonderful to talk to you, Kevin. <laughs> well, I am definitely happy to have you on. You know, it's so funny because, like, if I look back at, like, Picture Lock over the years, like, we've both kind of grown up together from, like, the TV show where, you know, you're talking right. about it to, like, now. With, and, and DC WebFest has really grown. I know. It's crazy to think that something that you started on a wing and a prayer Right. It's now in the year. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was crawling, now it's walking, now it's asking, you know, why is the sky blue? <laughs> right, right, right. Why is this? Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, I should definitely say that DC Web Fest is April 12th and 13th in our nation's capital. So, Otessa, if you could, man, there's so much going on this year. Let's just kind of start with uh, what... What can folks expect to see at this year's festival? Oh, gosh. So um, what I would say about this year's festival, because every year I kind of have a theme in my mind. And for year seven, the theme in my mind is really um, social impact and how we are creating and how to best create to commune and collaborate with others um, and to be more effective with our messaging uh, and to hopefully find uh, new people that you want to work with um, and to come away not just with a, a wonderful experience with new people, but also to come away with, uh, you know, whether it's because we have great prizes that I'm excited about. So there's mentorship, there's co-working spaces that we have for winners, um, there's equipment, there's 
kind of everything under the sun so that it's, that you can go out and create again because I think that's really really important and I think that as I see um, the digital space becoming like a new Hollywood mm. uh, that is that comes with its own issues and problems um, so I don't know if, if anyone remembers back in the day on Netflix you used to actually be able to submit your work to Netflix <laughs> right Right? Yeah. Those, I mean, the internet, internet years are like dog years. So that feels like so long ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, those days are gone. And Netflix is, you know, essentially MGM, almost like in the 1930s. So where does that leave independent creators? Um, and I think that that is a concern, but also when viewed from a different point of view, it is an opportunity. Because the reason why independent content and people started creating web series in the beginning, is it was an outlet for people who didn't have a place. I was specifically told in film school by one of my professors, uh, he actually came up to a group of, um, so there weren't, you know, the, the gender ratio, there were fewer women. Um, and he actually came up to almost all of the women in my year's class and said, you know, I don't know why all of you are here, you know, thinking you're going to be directors and producers, don't you know you're all going to be script girls? Wow. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You, the, uh, so, wait, real quick, pause, because this is really weird, because, I, and I need to figure out, go do, I wish I had an intern to, you know, look this up really quickly, but I've heard that exact same phrase from another female filmmaker, one of the film fatales that I had on last year. That, that is just, like, horrible. Like, I can't believe... Mm -hmm. That professor has the audacity to say something like that. That's that's yeah, that's horrible. But but I'm, yeah. I'm amazed that like, and maybe maybe that's my ignorance because I'm not a woman. But like, I'm amazed that like I heard that exact same thing be said to another filmmaker I've had on the show. I and now now I'm wondering. I'm like, was she was she one of my classmates? Was she standing next to me, or is this really <laughs> that prevalent? You know, like no. I'm hoping it's not that prevalent, but it probably is. No, no, but the it's... the realization was that, you know, no one no one is going out saying, hey, we're really looking for uh, a petite female minority director. Like, that's, I don't think anyone's really ever said that. Like, you know, like a young, like, cutter teeth. No, absolutely not. Um, apparently, I was just destined to be a script girl. So I <laughs> made the decision then that... You know, Hollywood and the quote-unquote independent film scene in New York were probably not for me, but I saw how um, online was really a place for people whose stories were not being told. This was a place where they could have agency and then connect organically and build a movement. So that's how I started. I mean, before even YouTube existed, I was making a web series. And I think that for a lot of people who don't see themselves on the screen, um, who don't have opportunities this was an amazing opportunity to do that and now that basically you know you go to the emmys and most of the most of the winners were technically web series um it's been kind of appropriated mm. um and well yes so netflix did do you know to all the boys i've ever loved before but that was and yes and they did say hey the asian characters can be asian and they were only one of 30 studios that said that. Um, but Netflix also dropped, you know, how, countless other pieces of content that month that really weren't that diverse or inclusive. Yeah. So I think that this space is the one that we really, really need to protect. And that's what I'm thinking about as we come into year seven, is how do we protect that space? Because we, if that space goes away, we still have the same supply and demand failure that we did in the beginning, which is why all of this happened is because people want to see themselves and people want their stories and people want the opportunity to have the agency to make those stories as well as, you know, have the agency to seek them out and actually find them and enjoy them. Um, and so, yeah, protecting that independent space is incredibly important. And I think also um, from, the, from the vantage point of, yes, we're part of, of a consortium of international uh, festivals, um, how can we learn from other countries that are doing this in a way that is more successful to the independent creator? How can we learn from them? How can we work with them? Um, and how can we also make sure that people realize that DC is a creative community 
Um, and it, you know, it's not just a place where maybe you start out, get to a certain point, and then leave. Let's make sure that people are aware of the fact that it is creative enough that people can get to that point and then stay and have the resources and ability to continue to create here. And DC mm-hmm. does actually have long and pretty illustrious uh, history of creativity. I think of, you know, the punk and hardcore movement, um, Riot Girl, Zines, um, you know, the pendulum has swung a certain way uh, with this administration, but that doesn't change the history of D.C. actually being uh, both creative and politically very meaningful. And when those two things converge, what we're able to do is phenomenal. So that's what I'm really interested in for year seven. And I think part of the reason also why, uh, as of last year, we started including podcasts as well as um, digital art and blogs, any form of content, really, uh, is storytelling. And I wanted to make sure that none of these storytellers were being excluded. You're listening to Picturelock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder of DC WebFest, Otessa Guitar. Otessa, if you could, uh, I, I love the the mission of DC WebFest and and how you guys are really creating um, a protected space for independent artists. Um, let's go ahead and jump into uh, specifically like what folks can uh, expect to see on Friday and Saturday, April twelfth and thirteenth this year at the Fest. Now you guys have web series, podcasts. Uh, screenwriting, games, apps, all that kind of stuff. If you could, like, for someone that's listening to the show right now and is um, interested and maybe coming out, um, what are they going to be able to see and do? Okay, so I would say that it is it is more than a film festival. So, yes, you will definitely have on Friday and Saturday evenings, you're going to have your watch party experience. You're going to get to see amazing content from all over the globe that I'm super pumped about sharing. Um, and then after parties, and you'll have the chance to network with people um, in an organic way. Uh, and I would also say that then during, during the daytimes, we have um, how-to, right? So experts, people who have made it, um, independent success stories, how, how they did it, and what their advice is to people who are starting out or have a curiosity, or even people who are at a higher level who just want to engage more, um, how to be more informed about podcasting or blogging or making sure that they're connecting uh, at maximum capacity. And then also there's the ability to protect your IP. We have pro bono legal sessions with creative control. There's also the VR experiences, which are always like a super big hit. People love those games. Um, And yeah, so it's a lot of, uh, a lot of empowering, curated conversations and then obviously the the screening experience and the parties um, and just a level of access to these resources and these people but also in a really fun environment Um, so that's I think really important to me we're also doing some activations with um, Amazon Web Services and doing something fun with Google on Friday uh, as well as um, something that brand brand spanking new and in the works that we're talking about with discovery so i would just say that you know if you care about the arts if you're interested in technology if you like to have fun uh (laughs) come out (laughs) and come out in particular because one thing this year that i really thought about very deeply was um i think i've been to too many sort of conventions where just it's massive you know and you have a thousand people and it's really, really difficult to actually feel as though you're making meaningful connections with depth that you can then go out and and explore. So we've actually capped our tickets, so I would encourage everyone to go out and get them now while we're still an early bird. Um, we are a nonprofit, so this is literally at cost. Uh, definitely get them now before they sell out because we do want to make sure that this is an environment where people are really going to get to know each other. 
Totally makes a lot of sense. And, uh, if, um, man, I don't want to have to wrap out, but we're going to have to. Um, if people want to get those tickets, like, where can they go? How can they follow you guys online, social media, et cetera? Sure thing. So we are at DC WebFest across all social platforms. And if you want to pick up your tickets, you can go to www.dcwebfest.org. A founder of DC WebFest, Otessa Gadar. Thanks so much for coming back on Picture Lock. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, lots of friendly faces there. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great time with a lot of value add. Let's take a quick break for promos. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do, and as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Thanks so much for listening to Picture Lock Podcast, guys. I'm always trying to find great deals on cool things that I can offer you, as you know. And with Picture Lock, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Well, what is Loot Crate, you ask? Loot Crate is a monthly mystery crate for geeks, gamers, and fans of pop culture delivering cool and often exclusive items like collectibles, t-shirts, home goods, and more directly to your door every month. What makes Loot Crate so awesome to me is instead of getting my new graphic tees from the store each month, for the same price or less, I can get cool apparel from my favorite TV shows, movies, games, and more. And if you got a little more to shell out, you can get even bigger and better items. No matter what you pay per month, the value of the crate is usually more, so it's a win-win. You're going to search through the rack or shelves anyway. Let Loot Crate do it for you and throw a little curveball in there for you. To save 10% on any new subscription, go to trylootcrate.com slash picture lock. Again, that's trylootcrate.com slash picture lock to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yo, what's going on? It's your man, Anthony Gaskins. And I'm Carl Foreman Jr. We are the co-creators of Frank and Lamar. And you are locked in to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And Fake News Writer is a hilarious political comedy web series that hits at both the right and the left. It follows Ethan, a recent college grad who left everything behind and moved to Los Angeles to be a screenwriter. Unable to find any other job as a millennial in this horrible job market, he ends up writing fake news for a website called American Conservative. Shortly after, he discovers that his extremely liberal roommate, Nick, works for a hacking group called Doxers Anonymous. Their mission? to expose and publicly shame the people who write fake news. I have the writer, producer, and director producer of Fake News writer, Eric Pazina and Danny Hanks on the line with me. Guys, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. 
It's definitely my pleasure. It seems like this is a web series for the times, but before we get into this, uh, if you could, my first question always is, when did you first fall in love with film? Danny, let's start with you. Yeah, so um, I first fell in love with film actually as an actor when I was very, very young. My parents pushed me into a theater production of Babes in Toyland at the local theater. And I fell in love with the stage, got bit by the bug, uh, was absolutely in love with being in front of an audience. And over the next 10 or so years of exploring the acting world and singing and dancing, I actually learned a lot about directing and learned that I liked working with actors a lot more than I liked acting. Um, so I fell in love with directing theater. And then when I went to NYU Tisch drama program, I was in a program at Stone Street Studios where I fell in love with acting for the camera um, and working with actors to give their best presentations to the camera. So I really fell in love with film um, about six years ago now, and that's when it really, you know, grabbed me. I realized that this visual medium is something that I am absolutely in love with, and I love crafting stories for the camera. Man, that's great. Yeah. Eric, how about you? I don't have a real specific time of when I fell in love with <laughs> film, but I, I think of it more as when I fell in love with creative writing, which was before I even knew how to write. When I was a baby, like a little kid, before I even knew how to read or write, I would like write out little stories and read them to my family, and I'd really just memorize them in my head. But I just always knew I wanted to be a writer. And like with this, um, satire, I was really inspired by South Park um, because I think they do a great job at hitting everyone and my goal with this was to hit everyone that deserved it and not just write for one side um, and yeah Okay, Eric, uh, I gotta go back um, Yeah <laughs> at, you, <laughs> Now I have a four-year-old at home he is, he is starting to say three-letter words and you know, starting to mm -hmm. be able to write you said before you could read or write, you were writing stories. <laughs> so were yeah. you drawing pictures and telling what the pictures meant? Or <laughs> how did that yeah. work? So I, <laughs> I would draw pictures, and I would kind of just write scribbles and pretend they were words. Got it. <laughs> but, <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, guys. So uh, if we could, let's get a quick, brief history lesson. Um, obviously, I know, Danny, you were kind of talking about going to Tish. Um, how did you guys go from, you know, um, you know, Danny being in, you know, stage plays uh, as a youngster and Eric uh, doing hieroglyphics uh, on on walls and <laughs> telling stories to now actually being um, director, producer and writer, producer of this web series? Yeah, so Eric and I actually met at Tisch. Eric went to the dramatic writing program there. Um, so that's where we met. I was still acting. He was writing, of course. And he posted on Facebook looking for somebody to host his reading of a feature he had just finished. And I volunteered to direct it, cast it, brought a bunch of actors into the room. We gave a bunch of feedback. And lo and behold, two years later, just out of the blue, Eric texts me and says, hey, I have this fantastic web series that I wrote. And I'm looking for a director, and I remember when we worked together, it, was, it worked really well, and you were great with the actors, and I'd love to bring you on board. And I interviewed with him, and that's how we're working together again today. Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about that in-between? <laughs> Since I had like a two-year break from this project. <laughs> yeah, it was actually three years. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just wrote a movie about a guy who cuddles with women for money and I was like I want to hear this right out loud just because it's good to do for seeing how your dialogue sounds and everything and so I wasn't expecting a lot I was just like is there a way I can get this read out loud by actors and then Danny messaged me and did way way more than I expected or needed but it was awesome she like found actors for me and like had rehearsals and I went to one of the rehearsals and she was talking about my scenes and like she added, she was like, okay, so here's the character's motivation and this is what's going on. And I'm like, wow, I never realized that about my own scene, but she's right. 
and I really liked <laughs> wow. what she added to my script. So as soon as I was in a position to hire a director, she's the first person I thought of. And I didn't even know she was a director at the time. I thought she was an actor. But I was like, I'll see if she can direct too. And then turned out she had some directing experience. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's a really cool story. So now it seems like uh, you know we got a new uh, writing directing team on our hands. Yep. <laughs> yeah, up and coming. Watch out. <laughs> I love it. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with writer producer and director producer of Fake News Writer Eric Pazina and Danny Hanks. Uh, guys, if you could, for the audience, in your own words, what is this web series all about? So Fake News Writer is a 10-episode bipartisan political comedy about a college grad who moves to Los Angeles to be a screenwriter, but the only job he can get is writing pro-Trump conservative propaganda for a fake news website called American Conservative. And then right after, he finds out that his roommate, who's an extremist liberal, hacks and exposes the people who run fake news pages, so he has to hide it from his roommate. story about being a millennial relationship, politics, of course and everything that comes along with that. You know, I love how, uh, you know, sometimes uh, art imitates life and vice versa. <laughs> and so I guess an uh, individual question for both of you. You know, Eric, yep. what inspired you to write this? Because obviously it is uh, very present day material. Um, but I do love the fact that, you know, it's not just you know, present day material, fake news, let's talk about it. But then you have, you know, trying to hide things from your roommate and, you know, the fun that can uh, come through that. So what inspired you to write it? And then Danny, you know, just in terms of the material and directing it, you know, outside of your love for Eric, obviously, you know, <laughs> what what drew you to the material? So the reason I wrote it is because a lot of it actually happened to me. And so I was searching for jobs and I found this job that just said political writer needed and you have to be able to write with whatever bias we give you to write. And I'm like, I can do that. I really needed a writing job at the time. Um, I wanted to do something with my major. Um, and so far I'd had jobs that were like, write for four hours and you can get $5 and stuff like that. A lot of really bad writing jobs. And mm -hmm. so I took it and, um, I realized I'd stumbled into something really topical and relevant. And I'm like, I felt guilty and hated myself the whole time I had that job. But I was like, I wanted to turn it into a screenplay. <laughs> and um, the part with Nick being, uh, that was kind of like, I'd been, you know, like Dexter, he's a serial killer. His yeah. sister is a cop and Breaking Bad. He's a, meth dealer and his brother-in-law is the DEA agent, obviously. So <laughs> I just tried to have that kind of aspect in a comedy and that didn't actually happen. <laughs> and so it's like some of it's true. Some of it's exaggerated for the comedy. And um, so I had this job. I felt like I had a unique perspective because a lot of people, when they see these, things it's like I would never actually make up anything it was just about like writing something biased because you know the audience likes it and it's not like I was trying to convince anyone of anything or sway an election it was just like hey study what gets clicks and write that and the audience is very conservative and you have if you don't write biasly they're gonna be mad at you so you have to write biasly or else for them to keep following the page um so I thought that was a unique perspective and I wanted to write about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That, that, that's really uh, interesting. And uh, I, I love how you took some liberties on your own life as we always do in Hollywood and stuff like that. Uh, but it makes it really um, more intriguing to kind of have like somebody on your tail, right? Um, Danny, how about, yeah. <laughs> how about you? What, what attracted you to the material? Yeah, so when I read the script, I knew that it was edgy and controversial, and I am drawn to those types of projects, especially because in this political climate, both of my parents are very, very hardcore conservative Trump supporters, and I am probably one of the most New York liberal people that you can meet. You know, I have pink hair, for Christ's sake. So, um, 
it was it was really amazing to see the script that took hits at both sides. Being a person that can laugh at myself, I really liked the jokes about liberals because some of them are true and some of them are funny. Um, and I liked hitting at conservatives as well. And when I read it, I knew that it was something that could go either way. You know, it would be very easy for the script to fall in the hands of somebody who wanted to make it just a conservative bashing piece or just a liberal bashing piece. And when I read it, I was like, you know what? I'm up for the challenge to make this a truly bipartisan web series. I feel like it can bring me and my family together. And honestly, it really has. They love the show. I love the show. We all laugh at each other. Um, but it really does open the door for conversations that we weren't able to have before the show was out. Man, that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> bringing families together, fake news writer. I, I love that. But but you guys are absolutely correct. I mean, this is one of the things that people talk about, you know, when you get around the, the table for Thanksgiving or things like that, like people are, you know, at odds with one another. So, you know, if, if uh, as artists, if our art can help bring people together, that is pretty doggone dope. Uh, but guys, wrapping out here, um, if people want to be able to bring their family together <laughs> in these crazy times, how can they find Fake News Writer online, social media, etc.? Yeah, you can go to uh, youtube.com slash fake news writer or fake news writer.com or just search us on Facebook. We're on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. <laughs> yeah, we'll be the first. We'll be the first thing that comes up when you search "fake news writer" on YouTube. Yeah, nice. Writer, producer, and director, producer of "Fake News Writer," Eric Pazina and Danny Hanks. Thanks for coming on Picture Lock. Yes, thank you so much. We've been thanks. so happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, everybody. This is Sarah Zandia, the writer director of Simple Wedding, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I am Kevin Sampson, and Guess I'm a Ghost is a comedy web series in eight episodes that explores coming to terms with your past mistakes, making amends, and how we perform for others and find out about death through social media. Tonally, the series is a mix between high maintenance and the good place, using both naturalistic and absurd comedy. The show looks to see how we grieve over imperfect people we think we knew, but maybe didn't at all. I have the writer, director, producer of the series, Christopher Sullivan, on the line. Chris, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Chris, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, probably since I was really young, like four or five, six, I was always super into movies and TV shows and was kind of like glued to the screen growing up and was just kind of really into like everything from like Ghostbusters to Star Wars and Batman, that kind of stuff most little boys are into. And then as I got older, um, I just started getting into more kind of indie cinema and um, it's just always kind of been a big part of my life. I gotcha. That sounds pretty familiar. Could you take us from uh, the the little boy that grew up loving Ghostbusters to <laughs> the adult male that's guess I'm a ghost? I guess ghost or something that you're really into. How did you really uh, kind of get into the industry? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I actually thought I wanted to be an actor when I was younger, and I was in this acting class in my hometown, which is in upstate New York. And through that, we started playwriting. And I wrote this play when I was 14 uh, in ninth grade. And that got into this local teen playwriting festival. And then from there, I just kind of kept writing plays and uh, went to NYU for uh, dramatic writing. And then there, I got more into screenwriting and filmmaking, and I made some short films. And... Then I was in New York uh, writing plays and kind of making short films and working in like reality and documentary TV. Um, and then uh, moved out to Los Angeles about four years ago to go to USC for their screenwriting program. 
And yeah, ever since, so kind of been doing this since I was a teenager, just either writing plays or screenplays and making my own stuff basically. Yeah. So you, you, it seems like you're really into the writing aspect of, you know, just telling the story. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's always been kind of the first interest of mine and directing almost came as like a secondary thing of how do I get this, these pieces of paper onto a screen or onto a stage and get actors like saying them. Um, but yeah, writing is always kind of the number one thing for me. You know, I, I, I'm so I'm gonna kind of geek out for a second, and I want us to get into sure. guess I'm a ghost. But like, I'm wondering, and this I'm getting this vibe that as the writer director for you, is it about like the actors delivering the the lines as you've written and and kind of bringing your total vision together? Because you know, you can write and then you can hire a director but it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily always match like your your unique vision. So is this one of those things where like you just prefer to kind of keep your uh vision and your voice uh in the way that you you intended it to be? Yeah, that's part of it. Um but I also love working with other people and I'm not super precious about the words I'm written and one of the benefits of kind of coming up in theater and doing this with is just knowing that you're going to cut stuff and not to get too attached to anything. And on Guess I'm a Ghost, I had um, two co-directors, Nicole Dancer and Julie Cohen, on certain episodes. And so we would kind of trade off between talking to the DP and the actors and and then the actors, we would do some improv, and they would kind of add their own stuff, which a lot of that made it into the final cut. Um, so partially, part of it, yeah, was kind of protecting the initial vision that I had set out, but I also really like getting other people's opinions and seeing <laughs> their kind of spin on things. Right, right. No, it totally makes sense. Uh, I think sometimes I, I have that, like, wear all hats type of personality, um, but that's that's really awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking with Christopher Sullivan. He is the writer, director, producer of Guess I'm a Ghost. Um, Chris, if you could, Guess I'm a Ghost, in your own words, what is this web series all about? Sure, yeah, so uh, the show is about uh, Diane Egan, who is not like the nicest person, and she's kind of, um, not treated people super well (laughs) and has told some lies in her life and she has an embarrassing last night on earth and dies in an uber accident trying to climb into the front seat to charge her phone um and then she is sent back to earth as a ghost and has to haunt people from her life like bad tinder dates and bitter high school friends and the Uber driver in the accident. And so <laughs> each episode, she's kind of uh, visiting each of these characters, and then they kind of like both come to conclusions about their past relationships. Wow, man! You know, the, the, yeah, uh, I'm I'm tongue tied. <laughs> I can't even. I want to see this. This just sounds so funny. Um, cool. <laughs> so, so one, where can folks check out the web series? But then, two, um, so the Uber driver survived, but she didn't? Right, yeah. <laughs> so she's kind of, like, dealing with the aftermath, and she loses her job and is, like, trying to get unemployment benefits. And, um, and it's not really her fault that the accident happened. It's more Diane's fault, so that's kind of something that they both come to terms with when she's like living in her house basically like diane kind of just becomes an annoying roommate to to all these characters gotcha. more than like a spooky scary uh ghost thing <laughs> right so they see dead people but you know i guess it, like i think it's a good you know it helps to know that it's like a mix between high maintenance and the good place so that like you can kind of yeah get that Okay, nice. Um, yeah, so where can folks find the web oh, series? Yeah. So we're going to be premiering on Vimeo at the end of April. Um, 
we are premiering at the DC Web Fest uh, in mid-April, and then we'll be online streaming April 29th. And in the meantime, you can check out updates on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, guess I'm a ghost. And yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, one question I really want to ask is, just in regard to, um, you know, shooting a web series, uh, right? So, you know, you, you obviously have been around film and uh, even the stage. What made you want to shoot a web series? And what is it about telling uh, these small episodic, episodic tales um, that really interests you? Yeah, it was actually a lot harder than I anticipated in the beginning to kind of get these shorter stories that you can watch in like five or six minutes on your computer and kind of have a full arc. Um, it was a way for me to kind of make a lot of content without making a full feature, but also more than a short film. And also just to kind of practice doing episodic storytelling because I want to write TV. So it was kind of figuring out how do we tell each of these characters' stories. And initially, the episodes were going to be like 15 to 20 minutes because I just couldn't get sort of the full arc for each of these characters within that short of time. So we've actually now split uh, the three characters' stories into two parts each that are each about like six minutes or so. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty... Uh, challenging but rewarding process uh, trying to figure out how to do all that. Yeah, most definitely. I can imagine. So, Chris, if you could, one more time, uh, let folks know, you know the website that they should go check out or uh, social media once this drops in April. Sure. Uh, it's Guess I'm a Ghost on Instagram and Facebook and we'll be on Vimeo April 29th. Awesome. Writer, director, producer of the web series, Guess I'm a Ghost, Christopher Sullivan. Thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everyone. This is Danielle Vega, a.k.a. Ceci of Hulu's original series, East Los High, and you are tuned in to Picture Lock. Picture Lock is the show. I am Kevin Sampson, and Shangri-La is an episodic comedy about a group of lovable idiots chasing the Hollywood dream while surviving the streets of L.A. I have the co-creator, director of the series, Drew Rosas, on the line. Drew, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure, man. The first question I always start out with, Drew, when did you first fall in love with film? You know, I think like a lot of people, a uh, kid growing up with the old VHS camcorder from the parents and just that first moment when I under, kind of first realized the magic of creating my own projects on tape and watching them back for in front of a crowd and people just getting a kick out of it. Just started making movies with my friends and just never sort of fell out of love with the craft. Just expanded from there. So Yeah, um, I definitely feel you on that. Um, I didn't actually make a whole bunch of films with my friends growing up. But when I look back at the home videos, I, I, I suddenly realized it was usually me holding the video camera. So it's like a, a interesting correlation how like in your childhood, especially if you had the opportunity to have uh, a home video, because, you know, back then, like those those things were big. They were <laughs> they were kind of heavy. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you could definitely see um, how that could happen. So if you could, Drew, take me from the kid that's doing the home videos with friends to uh, the man now who's co-creator director of the web series. How did you get into the industry? Yeah, you know, well, it, it evolved. It started with just uh, making stuff for fun. And then when I was in high school, I discovered that everyone, no one made videos for classes and I could impress the teachers immensely by, by you know, altering a, a term paper for a video project and they would actually take me up on that <laughs> and then I would I'd go and make these videos and, and that sort of got me honing the craft and then uh, when I graduated high school I was just trying to think about what, what direction I wanted to take my career and I wasn't immediately thinking about film because it was always this fun thing for me and then I just something occurred to me that you know if, if I 
made my career something that I'm truly passionate about and that I really love, then, you know, you won't have to work a day in your life, even though you are working, but you'll, you'll be doing something you love and I, I'll uh, put forth the extra effort in every scenario. So that led me to just search out local film schools. I grew up in the Midwest, so um, this is Wisconsin and Minnesota area, and I just looked around there for good, you know, interesting schools or any uh, um, cinema schools, and I found this program um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, part of the UWM Tech School of the Arts program, and it's a it's one of the last standing 16 millimeter film programs. Oh so wow! I, I was went and toured the school, and I just loved the the strangeness and the <laughs> the, the the original uh, filmmaking processes that were happening there, and it was very experimental. It was outside Hollywood. It was outside studio. It was Midwestern. It was very different from like a, a normal um, cinema school that you might find that leads you right into the Hollywood program. So mm-hmm. I immediately was attracted to that, um, and I started school there, and, and it was just a really great experience that set me off on my career. And uh, basically spent four years going to undergrad there for film production with a minor in film studies. And then um, shortly uh, shortly after graduating, I, I uh, just... I got really lucky. I landed an internship and a PA position for some local commercials and been freelancing ever since in the industry. So Wow. It wasn't until six years later that I moved to Los Angeles after graduating. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's that's man, I could we could go off on a separate tangent of the, yeah. the journey to LA and you know, all that good stuff. But I do want to get uh Shangri La. So if you could, in your own words, what's the web series all about? Yeah, you know, this is really, a, it's, a, it's a universal story of people fighting for their dreams and uh, trying to make it in the city of Los Angeles, which is an entertainment capital of the country. And But we wanted to take our own spin on it, and we, so we sort of wrapped it all around this sort of Los Angeles phenomenon of finding, you know, out here everyone's in the industry, and everyone's at a different level, and you're always fighting, and even your friends that you think, oh my God, they made it, they're doing so good you know they're still struggling in the same exact ways as everyone else and one of the phenomena we saw happening out here when I moved here was just that you encounter a lot of people that are like maybe they're homeless maybe they're semi-homeless living on the streets living out of their cars moving to LA and you know fighting for that same dream but from literally the very bottom rung of the ladder still not giving up hope and that was just a fascinating encounter for me and uh, my co-creator, Nick Summer, we um, just were kind of taken aback by it, and we wanted to wrap it into a story, and so we developed the idea for Shangri-La. Yeah, man. You know, going back to what I was just talking about in terms of you making the journey from the Midwest over to uh, L.A., I, I could definitely see how, um, you know, this idea is birthed out of, I, I would assume, like that culture shock of, of getting into L.A. the first time and, you know, you, you're thinking L.A. is going to be, you know, city of dreams and all this kind of stuff. But then also to kind of see uh, the struggle. Um, if you could just talk yeah, a little bit. It's, of, a, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, contrast between the, the, the incredibly rich and the incredibly poor all intermingling in the city in, in unison. So there's, there's something really fascinating about it and I think beautiful, especially to, uh, you know, outsider eyes. Yeah, no, and and so what I wanted to do is kind of talk a little bit about uh, the characterization. But you know, it's interesting. You know, as us as we recorded this, and us just came out this weekend, broke a bunch of you know box office records and all that good stuff. But it it, it is about um, kind of like you said that intermingling of you know very rich uh, versus very poor. Um, and how uh, specifically, sometimes we can just step over those people in society or we're on our phones as we pass by, you know, the homeless guy on the street. Um, but if you could, like, talk about how uh, th- that comes out in your writing and, and constructing your characters. Yeah, you know, we really wanted to take, I mean, it's a tricky uh, subject matter because a, a main goal is to not be insensitive to the plight of homelessness. So it's really not about homelessness as much as it is about characters really striving for their dreams. And we really like the idea of taking that notion that everyone kind of has about, you know, um, you know, feeling bad for these people on the street and kind of turn on their head, turn on its head in a way and say, you know what, like really the, the life we live, I don't care who you are, you've made some sort of contract with, you know, your career and your 
um, your time in your life. And it, and it really comes down to how much of your t time do you want to give to a job working for some company? And yeah, maybe you could look at someone who's unemployed and living off the streets and feel you know, sorry for them, but at the same time, they might look back and say, look, this guy's checking in, punching in every day, and I have 100% total freedom to, to live my life by my own means. And so we really like the idea of the, sort of like the homeless homesteader who's finding their paradise in the city of angels and, um, yeah, and making their, their, uh, their own way through it. Man, I like that. The homeless homesteader who is yeah. finding their way. That was, that was a really good quote there, <laughs> Drew. I like that. <laughs> All uh, right. <laughs> so, Drew, uh, if we could kind of as we wrap out here, um, you know, uh, the web series hasn't dropped quite yet, but how can people find you guys uh, and, you know, get ready to anticipate, you know, seeing this web series online, social media, et cetera? Yeah, right now we have our L.A. premiere scheduled for May 9th, and we're going to, if everything goes as planned, we'll be dropping it online that same day, kind of all over, YouTube, um, Vimeo, Amazon, and um, we're going to do sort of a slow release. So we have 13 episodes. And we're going to try and do a new episode every two weeks, or you can go online and, and, and rent or buy the entire series all in one shot if you like to binge watch. But um, So yeah, uh, May 9th is the date, and for the meantime, the best way to uh, kind of get in touch with us and keep track is probably through our Facebook or Instagram. So Facebook is just facebook.com slash Shangri-La Show, and all one word. And um, same for our Instagram, Shangri-La Show. And our website is also the same. Shangri-LaShow.com. <laughs> Perfect. Co-creator and director of the web series Shangri-La, Drew Rosas. Thank you so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Seth Gadston, Otessa Godar, Eric Pazina, Danny Hanks, Chris Sullivan, and Drew Rosas for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast, so you can catch those unlocked versions of the show as well as the Picture Lock PR after show. Hopefully you just heard the one that I did with Patrick Shepard from the Cleveland International Film Festival. That was really great for any filmmakers that are interested in learning about how to kind of work with film festivals. So make sure you check that out. If you're a fan of Alexa, all you got to do is say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I'll come right up. I love how she gives the whole title now. It's pretty doggone dope. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests that I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free, and I really appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Now, you can watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe. I've got some new movie reviews and my breakdown of us up now. So please go check that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S, the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S, the producer numeral one, numeral three. And hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson. And until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. <laughs>